episode 305 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is Wednesday, February 3rd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. That's good to hear because uh, it is finally February, which means there will be baseball this month. There is already baseball. I mean, it's not Major League Baseball, but I'm watching the Caribbean World Series right now. And uh, I got a nice tutorial on how to roll cigars. So my day has already been fantastic. I, just, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to use that tutorial, but I know it now. So I love I love that I love that because like the stars of that of that league are guys that are total scrubs in the, in the baseball. I mean, like Unesky Betancourt is total is, star. Is yep, right now Junior Lake is like amazing. So I just uh, that's kind of fun. It, it, it it's a good. Uh, it's a good way to show just how difficult the majors are and just how amazing everyone in the majors really is. When you think about it, you know, we say this before on the podcast, even the guys that we say, quote unquote, suck, they're actually amazing ballplayers. They just suck relative to the majors because it is so damn hard. Anyway, let's dive into it. Follow us on Twitter as always, at Sporer, at Enosaris, E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. Please rate and review the podcast Yet another major kudos for y'all. You guys are just killing it. You got us up to five stars. And I didn't know if that was possible because we'd already had some non-five stars, but you guys overwhelmed it with so many five stars, 261 of our 300 reviews, that we actually average out to a five-star review now. So we really appreciate all of that. It's been fantastic. And if you haven't rate and reviewed just yet, please do it. Let us know what you think. We really appreciate that. Today we're going to be covering Eno's recent article on Arsenal scores, talk about a little bit what they are, how they might be useful, and some of the interesting guys that popped up on his list. Then we're going to revisit the outfield rankings and discuss the guys outside of the top 30. we got a handful of questions about guys that are a little bit deeper. They should be mixed, re- mixed league relevant. Pretty much across the board. Maybe not. Maybe some of the guys at the end aren't ten team mixed league, but for the most part, we're just getting a little bit deeper on guys. We all know that AJ Pollock rules. Jose Bautista's a beast. Let's talk about some of the guys that uh, have have a few more question marks around them. But let's start with your your latest piece, the change on Arsenal scores. You know, this is something that you've done in the past. And before we get into any of the names, just tell the folks what what are Arsenal scores? What are they all about? It's not about the Gunners scoring. Apparently, the Gunners are not very good <laughs> scoring uh, goals in English Premiership. But um, yeah, it's about it's about uh, thinking about a, a pitcher as a grouping of his pitches. So instead of looking at the outcomes of of, of every plate appearance and stuff like that, looking at the outcomes per, on the pitch level and then sort of grouping it together. So what I did was I looked at swinging strike rate and ground ball rate. Per you know, per pitch type, and then I, I did Z scores for that so that you could see, for example, how good Carlos Carrasco's curve is compared to the average curve. Hint, and it's really good. In fact, I think it was the number one pitch in baseball last You're year. I'm right. <laughs> so, uh, so that's just uh, it. it like the the parts that are missing from this are sort of a waiting for how often it's thrown because for example Carlos Carrasco's curve was not thrown a million times so you could make an argument that something like Tyson Ross's slider was the best pitch in baseball last year because okay he threw it so many times and still got that kind of whiff rate that makes sense in any case, uh, you know it's there's so many different 
way like I, this is still like this is basically the second iteration of Arsenal score and I feel like to really nail this I'll want to have like two or three like maybe you know maybe another couple of runs at it because one thing I'd like to do this time I what I did was I doubled the uh, swing strike Z, Z score because the swing strike rate of a pitch is doubly as important as the ground ball rate is for their you know Sierra and FIP and XFIP so um, so I doubled the Z scores for swing strike rate and added it to, to the Z scores for ground ball rate. And then I added up all of the Z scores for all the different pitches the guys throw. And Carlos Carrasco came up number one because his curve is a top 10 pitch. His slider is a top 10 pitch and his change in his fastball are above average pitches. So, so you know, yeah, it's really just dirty stuff. And I guess, you know, with, this is never going to, this is never going to capture command because, you know, it's just it's just not it's not about command. This is about this is more about stuff and about how your pitches rate, you know, by themselves. So, you know, there are going to be guys that just fall off a little bit because they have excellent command. I mean, Madison Bumgarner is more of a top 20 guy than a top 10 guy here. And I think that command is some of the missing parts here. And then like Ruby De La Rosa comes in like three spots behind Madison Bumgarner. And their, you know, their their outcomes are so different. And I think it's, I think command is kind of, command and deception are kind of the things that that are behind this. But That's still, th- and those things are super hard. And, and uh, you know, analysts much, much, much smarter than I are trying to to figure these things out in their own ways. And you know, even I'm trying to d- a different sort of. Um, I'm trying a different sort of work um, myself where I'm trying to, to use the raw pitch FX numbers uh, in terms of movement and velocity to predict a swinging strike. And that's, that's very difficult too. So there's a lot that goes into this, but this is a fun way to kind of look for guys that had great stuff that maybe didn't have great results that we can, we can think about for next year. Exactly. And we have some of those guys because, you know, obviously when you're making something like this, if Clayton Kershaw was last, you'd be like, I got to get back to the drawing board because that's that's incorrect. So when you look at the top of this list, you see the, a lot of the guys that you would expect. Kershaw's second to Carrasco. We know Carrasco's stuff is dirty. DeGrom, Syndergaard, Hamels, Arietta, Lariano, Sale, Richards. Those guys are uh, – John Lester. Those guys are all up there, and that fits, right, because we know that, that, that they've got uh, really great stuff. Your eyes can tell you that you don't really need to dive into the stats to know that. But there are some other guys on here that uh, definitely jump out, and and like you said, this doesn't this isn't like a straight draft list. You don't just go out and get these guys and think, hey, everything's going to work out because they got killer Arsenal scores. They need to get the other pieces in place. But some of these names, I think, are are very interesting, and if they can kind of refine their ability uh, to, to consistently execute then maybe we're on to something. I want to start with a guy in Colorado, which is always uh, dangerous, but uh, they're interesting for that reason. And Chad Bettis uh, was pretty high on the list, eyeballing it. I would say he was like maybe 12th because uh, it's not numbered. He had a oh, yeah. next iteration will be numbered as well. <laughs> right in between Keuchel and Scherzer. That's some heady company there. Again, you're not saying this means he's a beast, just that his stuff can be pretty filthy. What do we know about Chad Bettis, and, and what, does this, what does this tell you now that you see him rate highly here? Well, his, his other pitches, his non-fastball pitches, are 
you know, very good, at least, you know, for his entire career. It's not just last year. He has a 20% whiff rate on his changeup, a 17% whiff rate on his slider, and a 14% whiff rate on his curve. That curve number is above average. That change number is not quite elite, but I would call it plus. And the slider number is, is above average. So those are three good pitches. And, yeah, you know, his fastball isn't great. It's got average velocity and you know it looks straight when you look at it in pitch fx but it's so straight that i think it's actually sort of a cut fastball okay i mean you know normal normal fastballs have a minus six number in terms of uh their their um their horizontal movement and his is minus two and i and i've been thinking that that once you get that far gone from minus six you're you look different you know what i'm saying it's like it, that's not straight anymore that's I think what people would say has natural cut. So I would say that this guy has natural cutting action. He has he basically doesn't have a pitch. If you don't call that straight, if you call that sort of wiggle in the other direction, then I would say that he basically doesn't have a pitch that, that goes straight. And I think that's the kind of perfect pitcher for Coors. I mean, it's just just wobble that thing up there. You know what I mean? Just Absolutely. just you know, like make sure everything's got a little bend on it. And um you know, in terms of usage, I, I you know, he, he did, for the course of this season, um, throw the fastball less often. Um, Quite a bit, by the way. Bettis went down from 67 to 60%. So maybe even he um, or the catchers that he's working with or the, or the Rockies organization realizes that, listen, you're throwing it up there, 92, 94. That's, that's decent velo, but it, it's not doing enough. Maybe don't rely on it quite as much for Chad Bettis. Yeah, I you know I think and it looks like from Brooks it says that most of that came away from the four seam, which is that weird straight slash cut uh, fastball. But in any case, you know I think he could take. It's not ridiculous yet. I mean, it's not he's not a guy who throws the fastball like thirty percent of the time or anything. So, you know I, I think um, you know he could take that a step forward as long as those things are breaking at cores. You know, as long as those things are working. No doubt. Then you know, then throw them a little bit more. So I mean, no, no, no pitch that, no secondary pitch that he throws, he they throw over twenty percent of the time. So I think there's a little bit of, I, I don't know if I want to call it upside because sure. You know, I mean, you still got the thing of it is you still got Coors, and that's still going to be really difficult to navigate. Maybe right now until we see more. As it stands right now, without any improvement, Chad Bettis might be somebody that you can look at as a road streamer. He did pop a 3.35 ERA and nine starts on the road, only 7.2 Ks, and it was with a 129 WHIP. So that wasn't that wasn't great. But um, seeing that he has a quality arsenal like this over a full season, he, he can get you know 15 or so starts on the road. Maybe if the schedule breaks favorably for him, we're looking at 18, 19 starts on the road and not as many at home. And, and then there might be something there. So I, I don't know. I, I like that name. I, I like Ch Chad Bettis had, coming like, up. He still had like a 313 Babbitt, which is that's all cores. I mean, it, you know, the, the home run rate isn't the cores thing anymore. It's the Babbitt. So. He had a 366 at home and, and 266 yeah. on the road. So a completely different pitcher on the still road. Really, really hard to use guys at home. But yeah, I think there's that road. There's that road picture. And then in, in the deepest of leagues, you know, his projections say 440, but. What if he, you know, is able to, you know, up the strikeouts a little bit? A 9.8 percent swing strike rate could portend more than, you know, 19 percent or 7.7 .7 strikeouts per nine. Sure. So, 
you know, uh, if he if he sort of sequences things and goes for strikeouts a little bit more, I mean, he had 49% ground balls. Maybe at Coors, he goes for strikeouts a little bit more, and on the road, he goes for ground balls a little bit more. All, you know, there are people that deal with Coors in that way. And, like, Juli Chassin never threw his curveball at home, so he was, uh, he was like, a different pitcher on the road than he was at home. So, you know, I, I think there could be a way for him to get, like, a four ERA, you know, a one-three whip, and be, like, an NL-only innings eater type. Um, so as much as he can be, he probably is going to be limited to 180 innings and they they might do some weird things with piggyback starters and, and, and try to try to limit innings. But in any case, I think he's better than, I think he might be one of the few usable Rocky starters that we've seen. Yeah. There just aren't many. Let's talk about Henry Owens, somebody I like 23 year old, uh, Boston prospect left-hander can really, uh, you know, doesn't have overpowering stuff with the fastball. I think he works 89, 90, 91. But the secondary stuff, obviously, is doing some impressive things. I think there's some strikeout upside. Even just looking at what he did last year in only 63 innings, he only had an 18% strikeout rate but a 12% swinging strike rate. So there was maybe uh, almost some room for growth, and maybe he was a little bit on the unlucky side with his strikeout rate last year. What do you think of Henry Owens at age 23? In fact, I think this uh, I think this was made for made, I think this analysis was made for that kind of thing for Henry Owens actually because he like I just like really I just want to re- read the group of pitchers around Henry Owens because I think it's it's just sort of amazing. Sonny Gray, Jordano Ventura, David Hale, Patrick Corbin, Nicholas Tropiano, Drew Smiley, Jared Eikhoff, Henry Owens, Jimmy Nelson, Garrett. I think that's amazing. Those, those that pitchers. One, that last one cut off. That was Garrett Cole, by the way. Yeah, Garrett Cole. I thought that group of pitchers, you would never group those pitchers in anything. In any way, shape, <laughs> or form, other than to say they're major league baseball players. They're major league baseball players. But in in a, in a certain way, they all have, uh, you know, uh, uh, they actually all of those guys. Um, all of these guys, except for Henry Owens, only had two qualifying pitches. But uh, he throws three or four, and it was just a sample size quick. So, you know, a sample size thing. So all those guys throw three or four pitches and are and are and and in some are, are good enough to be sort of uh, top 30 type starters and by Arsenal score. And what I like about this, for Henry Owens in particular, is that it spotlights the fact that his pitches on an individual level were good last year. Mm-hmm. And that we need to give him a little more attention because, yeah, he only you know throws around 90, but his, his four-seamer has an inch more rise than usual. And, yeah, his, his sinker might be sub-90, but it has like two inches more uh, arm-side run than, uh, than, than normal. Or is that uh, glove side? No, arm side. Arm side run. And um, his change doesn't look that great, but it's 78 miles an hour, so it's 12 miles an hour yeah, slower. The, than the huge drop-off really helps there, especially with that fastball not being so fast. And he only threw 120 breaking, breaking balls, which is why they didn't show up in this analysis. But even if they did show up in this analysis, he would have gone up in the rankings because his slider had 19% whiffs and his curve had 14% whiffs. So... You know, soft tossing lefty. Yes, if you watch him, you might say that. But there, there is something to his pitches in terms of movement, and then there's also in terms of result. And I think that there's something about his like the way he delivers the ball, a little bit of deception, 
um, that that makes it harder for people to pick it up. And you know, I, I do think he's a lot better than he was last year. And I and I I think he's borderline mixed league starter. I think you know you can if you had him on your bench, he's the perfect kind of bench play where his pedigree, his per pitch results last year all say that. He could be a lot better this year. Absolutely. Three-time uh, top 100 prospect across the industry for Henry Owens. So we'll keep an eye on him for sure this year in that Boston rotation that's definitely not locked down one to five. Speaking of soft, to- soft tossing lefties, let's talk about a former teammate of Henry Owens is Rich Hill. Now, they were only teammates briefly. Um, but, you know, Rich Hill came up at the end of the year, put together that really impressive, I think it was a four-start run. But it was an obscene four starts. And ended up getting him a six million dollar deal with the A's. He rated even higher, I believe, than um, that than Owens did. In fact, he was again eyeballing it. I would say top twenty, surrounded by guys like Salazar, Strasburg, just in front of him, Bumgarner, and Chris Archer behind Rich Hill. So, you know, we're dealing with somebody here who's no spring chicken. He'll be thirty six this year, going out to Oakland. We haven't seen him throw more than let's see. 58 innings since 2007 in the majors. Where are we at with Rich Hill right now? And what does this Arsenal score tell us? A guy like Rich Hill is the reason that I put that I put the number of pitches on there and the average Arsenal score as well, because the average one is kind of problematic because Rich Hill, if he only has two pitches that qualified for this, is still going to have a high average score. So, I, I wanted to have a number of pitches on there for that reason. So I think that if you look at a guy that is a starting pitcher and only has one or two starting pitches uh, pitches that actually qualified for this, I think you look at him in a different light because Certainly. it's the whole idea of Arsenal scores is kind of to to sum up and and get multiple pitches and and to look at a at the depth of an Arsenal and stuff like that. So uh, you know, for Rich Hill. I like what he's doing. I think that he's an interesting cat, and given his his where he's pitching next year and how great that 29 inning sample was last year, I'm I'm willing to invest in him, especially in deeper leagues, maybe in that sort of Henry Owens spot. But I think if I had a choice between Henry Owens and Rich Hill for a last spot in a in a in a mixed league, I would take. Henry Owens, because I think there's more innings in his arm, sure. and there's just more upside. You know, give me the 20-year-old over the 40-year-old. Yeah, no, I, but, I fully agree there. But on top of that, Rich Hill also, you know, sort of uncovers the limitations of Arsenal score in another way, which is that the reason he's on this list is not because of his curveball. It's because of his fastball. And it's his fastball that got... Crazy whiffs last year, 16% whiffs on his fastball. And I'm sure it's because he threw it in weird counts. So let me put uh, two strike counts on here. Uh, yeah, he threw the four seam and the curve equally in two strike counts, which I think probably surprised a lot of people because they probably thought he was going to go to his vaunted big old curve mm-hmm. in order to strike him out. And instead, he would blow, quote unquote, blow by them uh, with a with a 90, 90 mile an hour fastball, basically. So I, I'm sure that there was a little bit of trickability going on with that four seam. You know, a 91 mile an hour four seam that doesn't have, you know, amazing movement in any in any direction. I, I don't, 
you know, it's a little bit has a little bit more run than normal, but I, I wouldn't say that it, it it stands out in terms of movement. I think what he's doing is everyone's focused on that curve because it's huge and breaks the ton. So they're all thinking about curve, and I think he's sort of picking pitching backwards. So I, I agree. So in that way, you know, it's like R.A. Dickey's fastball. It, in, a, in a way, we're still looking at uh, pitch type values. And what I have done for Arsenal, because you know the you know Fangraphs has these pitch type values for every pitch, and it kind of gives basically looking at linear weights, you can we can give a, a value to the outcomes of each pitch. And uh, for Rich Hill last year, his pitch type value for fastball was uh, six runs, which is great. You know, it's almost like a half win off of off of the fastball results, and it was twice what he got on his curveball. So that that mirrors a lot of what the the work Arsenal score is doing. However, what I have done by stripping out balls in play, other than calling them ground balls or not, is sort of take out BABIP in a way. Take out the, you know, the fact that some doubles should have been outs or some doubles should have been triples or homers, you know. So, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot that happens based on those. Like, for example, if someone steals a home run and changes a home run into an out, the pitch side value difference is huge. I mean, by the way. That, that happened for him in, in a very memorable way on that shutout, which I believe was his last start of the season for Rich Hill. Mookie Betts robbed what I believe was the fifth home run from Chris Davis of the year on an off uh, on an over the wall kind of catch um, to, to finish off that that big game for him. Actually, it right. was it was the second to last. He still had one more at New York, but it was that nine. It was that big two hit shutout with 10 strikeouts. Chris, uh, Rich, excuse me, Chris Davis almost uh, broke that shutout, and Mookie Betts said, no, sir. So so right there, that play in pitch tie values was huge because that turned a home run, which is the most negative thing you could have, uh, into an out. And uh, for me, in my in my work on, in Arsenal scores, it wouldn't have it didn't change a thing. Okay. Because that, that was a ball in play. That was a ball and play that wasn't a ground ball, so it, it wasn't. It didn't even factor in to to um, the Arsenal scores. So, you know, I think in a way this is a kind of a superior pitch type value, and uh, it still has some of the problems of pitch type values in that um, you know his fastball looks better because of his curve, but it's it, it strips away a lot of the noise of balls and play. And uh, so, I, yeah, Rich Hill, very interesting guy in Arsenal score for sure. Okay, I got one, I got one more guy on this list, and I, I will link this piece so folks can kind of go through it themselves. And if they have a question on anybody, they can leave it in the comments for you of that piece. But I want to talk about Zach Davies uh, as our last one here before we move on to some more outfielders. Uh, this was a guy traded from Baltimore over to Milwaukee, came up, had six starts, you know, kind of up and down uh, with, with the results, but really was able to limit hits. He didn't allow more than uh, six hits in any of his outings, and, and that was only one outing. That was his worst outing at Pittsburgh. Otherwise, you know, he's really efficient, had maybe a too, few too many walks, but really wasn't allowing guys to hit. What do you think of this 23-year-old right-hander? I know he's a little bit undersized for a righty, but uh, are we looking at something potentially useful here in Milwaukee? Are you talking about Zach Davies? Yeah. I – He's got that that two that 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 two pitches next to his name. Mm-hmm. He's another one. That, yeah, that separates him. He's right there by Sonny Gray, but Sonny Gray has five pitches that qualified, yeah. and Zach Davis has two. I think that's a, a huge thing to look at. Even Tyson Ross had three pitches that qualified because he has two fastballs, and so 
I would take Tyson Ross over Joe Ross, even though Tyson Ross comes up behind Joe Ross because Tyson Ross has three pitches. So I think it's huge to look at that pitch number. It's it's one reason to sort of, quote-unquote, disqualify Rich Hill. I think you want to have a three in that number to really believe in the pitcher. Okay. And, uh, and so, for example, like Travis Wood and Ariel Pena also score high, but they only had two pitches that qualified. Well, here's a perfect one. Brandon McCarthy scores extremely high, but he had just the one pitch, the, the big, right. big fastball from last year. So that's a great yeah. point. And you have that column on there. You guys, you folks can see it. It says pitches. You can just sort by that if you want and even chop off the twos and the ones if you really want to kind of change the focus. And 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 I think you should when it comes to Zach Davies because – Basically, he's a sinker change guy, mm-hmm. and he hasn't quite brought in that third pitch. Now, he could. I mean, the problem also is that it's 89, 88, 89 miles an hour. So, you know, he just doesn't have a big margin for error. It's nice that the change goes like, you know, 11 miles an hour slower, and, you know, that's been good for his whiffs, and he gets 30% whiffs on a changeup. So it's actually an elite changeup. Nice. But. The sinker gets four percent whiffs. Um, it it gets good ground balls. It gets bad but ground balls. Yeah, exactly. It's not a Britain level, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And then uh, he just doesn't have another pitch. The curve gets ten percent whiffs. He doesn't trust it. He he only threw fifty of them last year. The cutter seven percent whiffs. You know, um, you, you just you'll you will have I I you'll have to see. There's a lot of line drives on that cutter. And even though there's not a lot of line drives on the curve, he just has to trust it more. So if he starts throwing that curve more, I could see it because the curve has very different movement than the change and is even slower than the change. So he could be kind of a slow, slower, slowest kind of guy. Okay. Okay. So there is something to that. But then you also have to look at the context. And, you know, we also always have to come back to the uh, depth charts in the end because you know when i when i when someone asks me what's the first thing i can do to prepare i always say just look through the depth charts look through the depth charts learn that player look at, pool. Like, yeah learn that player pool look for somebody that you think is out of place on the on the on the depth chart that's that's 2.0 but 1.0 is just know who has a starting job and who doesn't according to uh the guys that are out there and for for us zach davies is on the outside looking in right now we got nelson peralta garza Anderson, Jungman, and then uh, Zach Davies is is last. So now you could think that Matt Garza is going to lose his job. You know he he did leave the team last year. He you know there were some uh, there was one relief appearance and there was you know it was it was a real bad year. He could also his- rebound big time too because before that Matt Garza. A while not a stud was was a, a pretty strong major league pitcher, you know, kind of an under four, but but mid to upper three ZRA guy who had some flashes. He's only going to be 32, so unless he's severely injured, or you know, doesn't have the flair for pitching anymore, or something, you know, out of the norm like that, he could also have a big bounce back down to his, you know, I upper threes, low four. I I agree at least to say that we should have them where we have them. I mean, I, yeah. I think the depth chart is right. Uh, you know, Garza, I, I might move Anderson above Garza and Jungman just because Anderson, you know, they traded for him. They like him. He's younger. He, he's part of the building process. They're probably going to give him a decent amount of, 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 um, you know, of leash, you yeah, know, because he's going to get a shot. They want to see, yeah, they're going to give him a shot. And I would put Garza and Jungman last. Jungman has to, 
has to be a little bit better than he, especially than he was at the end of the season last year. So there's there's a chance for Davies, but I would say there's just as much of a chance for Jorge Lopez, who is a higher rated prospect, has more pedigree, and throws 94 with a kind of almost a similar repertoire for Davies, except he throws 94. I mean, he's a sink change guy. Or I mean, more of a sinker curve, but his change is okay. Gets a lot of ground balls. You know, he 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 seems like a much a much more interesting guy. So Davies looks like to me maybe more of a six starter type, whereas Jorge Lopez plays the role of the prospect. You know, and those are different roles. I mean, you don't you don't bring Jorge Lopez up because Taylor Youngman has a blister. You bring Zachary Davies up. Absolutely. You bring Absolutely. Jorge Lopez up because you've released Matt Garza. That's or, a, that's a great call. You know, something like that. So. Um, I would say Davies is a six starter. I give him a little bit more than 55 innings because six starters are get used liberally. And you know Matt Gar's 163 innings. Uh, I don't know if he's going to make that. Willie Peralta needs to kind of improve a he little bit. He needs to too. show a little something. I agree with you there too. That was a guy that he'd been doing some things, and then last year, wow, just really kind of kind of hit the fan with it. So uh, I agree with you on Peralta for sure. Okay. All yeah, right, let's, so. let, let's talk some outfielders now. So let's dive back into the outfield ranks uh, that we posted, you know, a couple weeks now and, and, and get deeper. Let's just get deeper with it. I mentioned that we're going to be talking outside of the top 30 and I got a handful of guys here that I just have some questions about. Maybe get your assessment on their 2016 outlook. It, it, some of it's general, some of it's a little bit more pointed. We're going to start with David Peralta and, um, you know, he's demolished right-handers since since 2014. If you look, there's 198 qualified hitters, righties or lefties, with at least 600 plate appearances against right-handers since 2014. And Peralta's 902 OPS is 16th on that list. He's also second to D. Gordon and Kevin Kiermaier. Actually, uh, they're tied with 20 triples, and he has 19 sitting, uh, again, third place if you're counting the number of guys, second place if you're counting the, the the totals. So what are we dealing with here? Is this guy for real? I know he's going to be 28 this year, so that kind of turns some folks off. You know, he was in the independent league. He's kind of an out-of-nowhere guy, but he is putting up the numbers. Where are you at with David Peralta? I believe in him. I believe in him. Uh, you know, Jeff Zimmerman has a good piece today. I don't want to have you not read it because – uh, not Jeff Zimmerman, Jeff Sullivan. I don't want you to have you not read it because he's he's a good writer and you should read it. But the gist of it is basically that David Peralta sprays the ball around the park and hits it hard. And, you know, we also shouldn't be uh, holding... This is, in a way, it's kind of almost like a better um, Evan Gaddis situation because the reason David Peralta is old is not because he was bad. The reason David Peralta is old is because he was a pitcher. That's right. That's right. He was. By the way, so, I, um, maybe my fault, but I'm, I'm, I didn't even see this piece, and I still brought up David Peralta. I like this, this unintended synergy here between well, the front page and the podcast. It just published while we were talking. Oh, so he's biting our ideas. Okay, okay. He's reading my mind. Uh, he probably has access to this uh, rundown for our podcast. That's where he's getting his topics. I see you, Sullivan. I see you, buddy. I'm just kidding, obviously. Go ahead. But, uh, I mean, you know, that, that BABIP, you know, is only eight, 900 plate appearances in, and he has a 351 BABIP. I mean, that, that's what we're talking about here in a way. And 
if he since he sprays the ball hard, he hits the ball on the ground, and he doesn't really hit infield flies. You know, you, you can look. You have to look past the fact that his infield fly ball rate looks normal because his fly ball rate's so low. So he actually has, in terms of pop ups uh, per balls in play, it's really low. And good line drive rate, really good hard hit rate. You know, really nice spray where a lot of it's up the middle. That he's one of the lower pull percentage guys, definitely below average in terms of pull. So, you know, hard to defend, uh, sprays the ball around the field, hits it really hard, average plate discipline, almost exactly average plate discipline, and good power in a good park. So, I mean, there's nothing really, there's nothing really to, to, to worry about here, I don't think. I don't think that they can afford to necessarily platoon him either, even though... You know, his numbers were a little bit more lackluster against lefties. He had a 83 WRC plus. He struck out a lot more, didn't show the same power, showed about half half the power. Still showed a, a nice Babbitt actually against lefties. So, you know, you know, that's you know, that's that's not necessarily afford to platoon him because they have such a problem in left field. I mean, Yasmani Tomas might be he might be one of the worst regulars in baseball this year. He might be better he might be better we don't know this yet but he was one of the worst regulars in baseball last year we weren't very and high on him coming I, into the season yeah and i think uh yeah we all we all went to a spring training game as a fan graphs group and we watched him take three at bats and we were all out on uh, that wasn't even wasn't even somebody trying to play contrarian we're like well there goes that <laughs> no. you're right good luck arizona so you know I, I think that they're going to have to, whatever their their backup resources are, and I, I think this is actually an interesting depth chart to talk about because you've got Pollock, who used to be sort of a platoon issue guy. Peralta got a mild platoon issue, but you've got this glaring hole in left in right field in Yasmani Tomas that whoever you call up to 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 be the backup there is going to be important, and is going to have to have the upside to take the job completely from Tomas or at least platoon with him. And if you're platooning with Tomas, then you can't really platoon, especially given their, their holes at second and short. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's likely they're going to have, you know, it's re- they could have four middle infielders, you know, because they've got Ahmed, Segura, and Owings. And if they keep Goslin on the, on the squad, you know, to, to maybe back up third base or, or something – then, then they could have four middle infielders on the squad because their middle infield is also kind of putrid. And, you know, so I think that they're going to have to spend a lot of their roster resources on guys that could cover these bad holes that they've got. So I doubt that they're going to have a platoon partner for Peralta. I think he's going to play all the time. I think the backup outfielder could be Socrates Brito. That's what I want Peter to talk Rodriguez. about, actually. Let, let, let me Gabby ask you quickly Carrero. about him. Um, if Brito, he's a lefty, so he can't platoon with Peralta. He could be the Tomas platoon. Any love for him? He's he had uh, Socrates Brito had a lot of speed in the minors, a little bit of pop. You know, he won't zero you out there. Is there any is there any upside with 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 Brito? For sure. I mean, he he also has putrid uh, plate discipline, but at least he makes more contact than Tomas. And you know, I think he's a better all around player, better he's defender gonna, for sure, better, better defender. And, you know, given how many runs they scored with Tomas as a negative, I think you could – I think this is something you really got to watch in the spring. 
Rito is a very interesting guy. He only has 522 plate appearances in double A or above, mm-hmm. but they all came in one chunk and they were decent. He hit 300, 339, 451 um, in double in, in A as a, a 23 year old. So, I mean, he looks like 22. pretty much ready to go. Uh, yeah, 22, right, because that was last year. He, he looks ready to go. And, you know, I think that they're ready to go now as a team. So I think that spring will be very important. And the more you hear about Brito, the more likely it is, I think, that Tomas makes the team as a the wrong side platoon guy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Brito makes the team as uh, – because there's also talk that Peter O'Brien's going to catch, which – LOL. Most uh, somebody somebody listening to this is is just spurted their milk out. And, I, mean, um, <laughs> I, mean, I like the idea of someone sitting around drinking milk listening to the podcast. Like, pour their big glass, go get their Oreos. Ah, I'm gonna listen to this podcast. <laughs> Spit all over the place. <laughs> but uh, but you know, Peter O'Brien doesn't seem like a natural fit. And then Gabby Guerrero, just you know, the the other guy that, that far away, is on right? the step chart. I don't. I mean. Oh, I guess he's a little. Sorry, he's a little bit older than I thought. I thought. I thought he was further. Uh, further behind. He's 22. And and, uh, and you know, could be in the high minors this year. I just don't think he's any good. Oh. Okay. And I don't. Yeah. I mean. I mean. I maybe he's okay, but I mean, he's projected to hit 231, 262, 341. Last year in Double A, his second time in Double A. Well, uh, not really second time. No, no, he, he yeah, got traded after the trade. But still, trade. as a whole, last year in in 400 plate appearances in Double A, he hit 220. And I, I'm not a batting average guy, but there's nothing else to say that. Oh, but he did this. I mean, he hit 220 with putrid plate discipline and no power. So, what are we looking at Gabby Guerrero for? So Brito is Brito is more fully formed. Peter O'Brien is. Uh, a catcher. Yeah. <laughs> so Brito all of a sudden becomes the guy. Now, the only way you can sell Brito becoming the guy and not going back to the minor leagues for more seasoning is if you say Brito's going to play. Now, Brito as a lefty is not a good uh, is not a good platoon partner with Dave Peralta. He is a good platoon partner with Yasmani Tomas. Exactly. So that's where it fits. That's, that's where it fits. That's where all of a sudden the depth chart is going to switch because if Brito's up and he's the platoon partner. He's going to get the 420 plate appearances, and Yasmani Tomas is going to get the 210 plate appearances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's probably the way it should uh, go. That's an opportunity. That's the, that, there's opportunity there. All right, you know, Chris Davis with a K ended the 2015 season with a pair of 10 homer months. Very impressive stuff. Are we looking at 30 homers in 2016 from the Milwaukee Brewers uh, outfielder? I actually, you know, I don't. I would like to know what you think about this one, actually, because. I know he's a right-hander. You know, he's struggled a little bit with contact from here to there. And, you know, he doesn't seem to get the pub of other guys that have his kind of power. He definitely is in the right park for it. And yet people talk about him getting traded out of Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I I don't necessarily get that. I look at what he did last year, and Chris Davis had the the full slugger's arsenal there. Not only did he crush for power with a 505 slug and a 258 ISO, but he had a 10% walk rate, almost double uh, what he did in in his full season of 2014. And yeah, he struck out a lot, 28% for sure. But again, that kind of goes to the slugger's profile. That that's what he had. He pulls the ball 41% of the time, puts it in the air 40% of the time with regularity. 
I think everything is there for the power. Now that 247 average is right in line with the 244 that we saw in 2014. But that walk rate really changes things for me because he's getting on base now at an over 300 clip. And so if I can get him on base 32, 33% of the time, I'll take the batting average sinkhole. Again, 247, we've been saying this now uh, for, since last year. Jason, I think, was the first one to really hit on it was a 247 average isn't what it used to be. You know, it's not good by any stretch of the imagination, but five, six years ago, it was unrosterable almost regardless of what they did. In today's game, it's not the end of the world. So, yeah, I actually do see some uh, a 30 homer season here when you consider that he did 27 homers in just 121 games. I'm actually pretty high on a Chris Davis with a K who's right in the midst of his prime with this kind of pop. Yeah, you know, another nice thing is I mentioned he's a right hander. He actually had reverse platoon splits last year. That, I was going to get to that next. That really impressed me as well. And, you know, for his career, um, he's he's been about even. 813 against righties, 797 against lefties. That's not a big enough difference to say that he's really a platoon issue. And, of course, you got to love the fact that it's righty on righty damage that he's really uh, excelling with. He pops righties so hard. He hit 16 of his bombs in 2014 off of righties. That was 16 of 22. So yeah, I mean, if, if he was ever in a platoon, it would almost be where he's against the righties and then they had somebody else against lefties. So I agree with you. I think Chris Davis should be getting more pub. I think being on a crappy Milwaukee team is kind of keeping him hidden. And so maybe we should delete this part of the podcast so we can get more Chris Davis shares. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to necessarily believe in his reverse platoon split just because it takes a long time to believe in that that sort of thing. No doubt. You know, no doubt. But but the nice thing is that it happened. It means that he's you know a step for a step further away from being platooned in the bad way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's meaningful because that 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 outfield another interesting outfield depth chart to talk about here. Agreed. Because they've got Domingo Santana coming, and I don't even think we have Reimer Liriano. There he is, Reimer Liriano. We have as Chris Davis's backup in 105 plate appearances, but. They said Domingo Santana is not playing center field, and we have Domingo Santana in center field, so that's a bit of a problem uh, going forward. I think we might be right. I think they might say that and then just look at the fact that they have Kirk Newen, who is not very good, Keon Broxton, who himself was being pushed out of center field before, and I think he's a Rule 5 guy. So, you know, they don't really have a good set of center fielders there, and, you know, I think given their their players, I think it might make sense to just try a guy in center field for a while, even if it's Liriano or Santana. And um, that there is a decent amount of push here and a decent amount of young guys. I think that's why people talk about them training Chris Davis is because they're like, well, we have Brett Phillips coming. That Bingo. Or in the, in the Houston deal. We have Domingo Santana. We have Ryan Liriano. Maybe that's an asset. Who knows yet? And then we still have Ryan Braun. It seems like nobody's going to come by Ryan Braun. So let's try and trade Chris Davis. So I, I see where people talk about it, uh, but and and it's hard for them to get pitching and, and to sign pitching. They always sign the like last starting pitcher. They always sign the Kyle Loesch, the Matt Garza, yeah. <laughs> you know, the guys that they currently have. Yeah, Phillips is a good name. Uh, he's not quite ready yet, though. So right now they need a placeholder for center field, and they probably need a full 2016 placeholder unless Phillips just goes back to double-A, crushes it, 
gets the uh, uh, AAA promotion and 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 forces his way up. But you're talking about a Milwaukee team that doesn't really have any incentive to bring up a 22-year-old Phillips who was that big key piece in the Carlos Gomez deal. So I hear you there. Chris Davis, though, in terms of being a trade asset for Milwaukee, I think that's more of an in-season. There, there should be no reason to have traded him in the offseason. Obviously, we're at the point now where it's unlikely that uh, too many huge trades would happen, although we did just see Chris Dickerson get traded. So I guess if they got the right deal, but uh, I, I would ask I would ask for a pretty good bit for somebody like Chris Davis with that kind of pop doing it against right handers. Again, like you said, he doesn't necessarily, you know, own the ability to dominate righties, but you like seeing that kind of success. Uh, I like Chris Davis. I, I like him on the fantasy landscape and I like him a good bit in real life uh, just as a, a power bat from the right side. The, the LPS is about 100 points lower away from home. But that's not – you got to be careful because that's not necessarily ISO. The ISO is a little bit lower away from home, 222 to 265. But a 222 ISO is still pretty good. And really the difference has been BABIP. He's a 303 BABIP at home, 258 on the road. So if you normalize that BABIP, I think that would go a long way towards uh, closing the OPS gap. And then you would have still a guy who could hit 25 homers. It may be the difference between 25 and 30 if he gets traded. But at that point – you're talking about July, August, and you've already gotten you know four months out of him. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't think he's injury prone. So, yeah, I like him as a player, and I think uh, this might be his best year. What does a full season of Billy Burns look like to you? We're talking about a guy here for the Oakland A's who stole 61 bases per 600 plate appearances in the minors. And I know that that's a little clunky to, to do it like that. Obviously, you don't really uh, see kind of 600 plate appearance seasons in the minors because of how many games they play. But, I mean, the, the point is is that he ran wild, Billy Burns did. And he had 26 stolen bases in just 555 plate appearances last year, obviously far off of that minor league pace. We know that it's it's much easier to steal in the minors than in the majors. But again, we're dealing with somebody big time speed also has the ability to take a walk. Doesn't strike out should be at the top of a lineup. And again, you know, it's not a great lineup in Oakland, but uh, top of the lineup plate appearances are currency in fantasy baseball. So I don't know. I, I kind of like Billy Burns. What do you think? He's very interesting. He, he told me last year that the A's actually approached him when he first arrived and asked him if he may wanted to give up switch hitting. Oh, wow. And, you know, I think that's, a, that's an interesting thing because last year he was, he was pretty good against, yeah. um, against uh, let's see here. He was better against lefties. That's his natural one. But he still managed to have a 285 average and league average offense against righties. And that's basically, they were telling him to, uh, to bat as a righty against those righties. He did for and, seven plate appearances and went three for seven. Yeah, that's that's a little bit weird. Uh, but anyway, uh, maybe, maybe he had like a thumb issue or something. Anyway, Yeah, maybe there was just a little something where he's like, you know what, the, the, this pitcher can't, can't get out righties, so I'll stay righty-righty. But, uh, but in any case... He's a very different hitter from both sides of the plate, so I can see why they, they thought that. And, you know, they must have seen his ground ball, fly ball type splits uh, when they asked him that because he has a little bit more power and is a more traditional hitter against lefties than he is against righties. So, for example, he has a 46% ground ball rate against lefties, and um, uh, he it, that jumps to 53% against righties. So... He basically just puts the ball on the ground against righties. 
And his oppo percentage against righties is 36%. And his oppo percentage against lefties is 28%. And that's something we actually talked about in particular. And I said, what's going on with that? Are you, are you just content against righties to just put the ball on the, on the ground and run? And he said, no, no, no. It's actually a physical issue. It's a phys- like my muscles that lead to pulling the ball are not as developed on that side. Oh, wow. So he said, I can't even fire those muscles at the same rate in order to pull the ball. Now, if, if he was like a slugger, I would be so out on that. I'd be like, oh, God, this guy just told me he can't, you know, he can't do it from that side. And he's going to eventually give up on switch hitting. But he's not a slugger. It doesn't matter if he pulls the ball. And in fact, all that spraying on the ground, you know, oppo stuff is great for, for hit base hits. And that's what we want. We want Billy Burns on base as often as possible. Just get a single. We want him. And, and we don't even want power. We want singles so he can steal the so next So he can thing. steal. And because a lot, most leagues use average, let's get those singles up. I don't even care if you're taking walks. I'd rather you get singles, stay on first, get a stolen base. Get get two stolen bases. Steal second and third, Billy Burns. I'd love that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I like this guy. You know, 26 years old. I, I think there is a lot to like here with Burns, and I th- I think he's going to be solid this year. Not not like a stud, but again, we we we've talked about it a bit throughout the winter. The the speed that went down this year uh, in 2015, speed was way down across the league. I actually think it'll bounce back on the whole. It was just so low last year, but uh, not necessarily to a level where it's plentiful all of a sudden. So somebody like Burns, who can also deliver the uh, the batting average, he hit 294 last year. And, you know, he scored 70 runs uh, in 125 games. That's not too bad either. You know, I don't know how you feel about how Oakland's going to be this year. They got another one of those ragtag lineups where you look up and down. You're like, there's no stars, but there's also, you know, major leaguers at every spot. Uh, I, th- I feel like that could actually work out for him well. So he could end up being one of those three category guys, even though he's primarily a burner. And also, you know, we, we've talked about this just uh, a few seconds ago with when it comes to Arizona. You can't platoon every position, and so the 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 A's, which they've really platooned Josh Reddick in the past, mm-hmm. right? So that's going to either be Smolinski or Fold is going to is going to platoon with him, maybe Lambo, but there's going to be a platoon partner for Josh Reddick, and then you've got to have sort of a health platoon partner for Coco Chris, no doubt. You've got to have you've got a guy that that rests him, you know. And Mark Canha needs a place to play, so he's going to play at first. He's going to play, you know, DH. with against behind Coco Crisp in in left and then he's going to play at DH and so you know he's going to push I think Kanha because he had reverse platoon splits last year again not saying I believe in the reverse platoon splits but I think that means that he could be an everyday player um I think he might push somebody from their job so Kanha is a decent sleeper you know he can he can push Billy Butler if Billy Butler is putrid again um he can push uh Coco Crisp if Coco Crisp retires I mean it's not at all impossible that Coco Chris doesn't make it through spring. No, he's had so many injuries. He could be 36 or 37 this year. I can't remember. Yeah, he chose not to have surgery on the neck, which means that he's basically – because I think he has to have the kind of Peyton Manning-type surgery. where he Exactly. Back, and he's too old to, like, come back from that and play regularly after that. So I think he's, like, you know, going to play out this contract, see if I can play with it, you know, play five days a week or something. Uh, but – that does leave, you know, like I think they're going to have a hard decision to make with when it comes to like Sam Fold, Jake Smolinski, because, and I think it might have to be Fold because if you don't take Fold, you don't necessarily have a backup center fielder. 
Um, I don't necessarily oh, yeah, think that's true. Lindsay is a is a is a backup center fielder. So Folds is gonna be the final guy, but Fold is also not, you know, a natural platoon Like I don't think you wanna necessarily uh play Fold. Uh he's a lefty, so um you know, I guess you could play with the platoon of Fold and Burns, but I guess I'm what I'm saying is I'm not really that worried about it. And you gotta leave somebody on the bench for most games, especially if Kobe Crisp is starting the game. Uh if Kobe Crisp and Kanha are starting the game, then I think you need to have Fold on the bench. So there's a lot of different reasons that I think Billy Burns is going to play his full complement of, of play appearances this year. And I think that, you know, knowing the pitchers better this year, I think he's going to steal more. I know that our aging curves say that that's not necessarily the case, but he's still 26. It's not time for the big drop-off yet. He stole like 50, and he stole 70 bases one year in the minors. So I think there's another gear to Billy Burns. If you watch him, he's super fast. So I, I think, you know... I don't think that necessarily Steamer's got it all figured out in terms of his batting average and Babbitt because of how different of a player he is from each side of the each side of the plate. So I'll give him at least a 275 batting average, uh, you know, three four homers, and then I'll give him the fans uh, stolen base total. I'll give him 40 stolen bases. So yeah, I really think he can get up there. And again, there there is the potential for that other gear kind of 50 plus. That's obviously upper reaches of his projections. But uh, Billy Burns is somebody you guys should keep an eye on for sure. And, you know, got five bombs last year. Not a power guy, like you said. We're not looking for that. But I do like when I, when those speed demons don't zero you out in homers. That- he can hit it. Like like you said, like I said, he can he can pull against righties. I mean, against lefties. So he'll have a couple bombs against lefties, especially on the road. Absolutely. How much upside does a 28-year-old Rusny Castillo have? You know, he got the big contract. There was a lot of hubbub about him, but, uh, you know, played a half season last year and, and was, it was pretty poor, 647 OPS. And even you're looking at his 40 games in Pawtucket, he hit 282, but then 337 uh, OBP and just a 385 uh, slugging. So it wasn't particularly special outside of some base hits. What are we looking at with Rusny Castillo? You know, I think it's it's all about pooping or getting off the pot. I mean, this is this is the last <laughs> time. This is the last time for him. I mean, this is like I I have two shares in keeper leagues, and the reason I do, and they you know they've said this as a, as an organization, they like the fact that he's got a little bit of the Pablo Sandoval ability to hit balls inside and outside the 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 uh, the plate, the zone. So you know. Uh, you know his his contact rate on on pitches outside the zone is are decent, and you know I think his success rate on some of those pitches is a little better than usual. So he does have the ability to make contact and you know spray the ball. He's going to put the ball on the ground, so that limits his power upside for sure. And he hasn't been very successful on stealing bases, but but I do think that Chris Young is best used against lefties. And oh, yeah, full platoon for Chris Young. That, he but, needs to be short side platoon 1,000%. But the problem is that Rosne Castillo is also a righty. So, oh, yeah. you know, I think this is the last chance that they give Castillo for a full-time gig. And so I'm willing to give him a shot. I think he can do 275-15-15, 275-15-10. In today's game, you know, those, those 10 stolen bases are going to be very useful. And that season like that would make him, I think, a third starting outfielder. Okay. But, you know, I, the likelihood of it happening, I don't think is super high. It's dwindling at 28 uh, at this point. 
Yeah. And he needs to be sort of a Babbitt monster. I mean, he's the reason his projections are at 270 is because you're only giving a 315 Babbitt. You know, given that he's not going to put the ball in the air a lot, you could give him a plus Babbitt if he stings the ball. Sure. So there's still that's that's where the window opens a little bit is hard hitting, you know, on the ground, you know, 12 to 15 homer, you know, guy. And then maybe, you know, maybe they give him the green light or, you know, maybe he's in better shape when he comes to, to spring training this year. So that that's that's, you know, the rose colored glasses. But I would rather in mixed leagues, I'd rather draft him as a bench piece. I think he's a decent bench piece because he's still got some upside and. You know, still got the the ability to to give you power and speed uh, from a bench pick, but I wouldn't I wouldn't spend anything more than the bench pick, and I'm not sure that it's always uh, a bench pick that it costs to get him. So that that's what I was going to point out. You're looking at the NFBC average draft position data, and Rusni Castillo's going in the 17th, 16th, 17th round area. So that's that's still a starter at that point, and 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 you make a good point that you know if you're having to pay kind of starter price. Ah, it puts a lot of pressure on, on him to perform, and we really haven't seen enough from Rusnik Castillo yet. Uh, next guy, Eddie Rosario, is one of those better in fantasy players, but can he improve in real life to really kind of cash in on those uh, on, on those fantasy numbers that really interest us? He had a double-double last year, which is 10-plus homers and stolen bases, not to mention 15 triples. And I feel like he was on the uh, highlight show, you know, four or five times a week with a great defensive play. But I don't know if that speaks to overall quality defense or just making flashy plays. Remember that one year, this is years ago now, uh, as Drupal Cabrera was on the web gems for uh, ESPN, even before MLB Network, every single night. And everyone's like, well, he's a stud shortstop. And then we kind of learned from the defensive metrics that a lot of those plays were because, uh, you know, he had to kind of dive for plays that a lot of other guys would have just made routinely. So I don't know if that's the same thing at play. With Eddie Rosario, but I look at 13 homers and 11 stolen bases and a passable 267 average in 122 games, and I say, okay, there's some interest there. But then I look at a 289 OBP and I go punch myself in the face. So what are we looking at? He's definitely the kind of guy that um, is not going to make it look good by advanced metrics. He's not going to have good plate discipline. Uh, I've used the word putrid before in this podcast, so I won't necessarily use it again, but you know, 14.5% swing strike rate, 25% strikeout rate, 3% walk rate. That's that, you know, that's the word you use for that sort of play discipline. But, you know, toolsy, loose swing a little bit. You know, I, I remember one AFL, we were watching Mookie Betts and Eddie Rosario. And I was asking a scout, you know, why do you like Eddie? Why do you like Mookie Betts's arm, like hand action before the swing and don't like Eddie Rosario's? Because they both move their hands a lot and are sort of active. But he, he, he said that he thought that Mookie Betts's hands were more lithe, more reactive, more athletic. And that Rosario is a little bit stiff, even though he's moving his hands a lot. So uh, I take that for what it's worth. It's a bit of a scoutism. Who knows what that means? But <laughs> there is one thing I want to mention that that – it's hard for us. We always, you know, we kind of dance around this sort of thing. He, Eddie Rosario got popped for steroids. Oh, okay. For some reason I had in my mind that his suspension was, was a weed one. I didn't know it was steroids. Okay. Wait, maybe, maybe, let me make sure that, that it wasn't for weed. That matters, obviously. 
Uh, and, and I remember seeing him while you're looking that up. I remember seeing him in Arizona, but actually both times I remember seeing him, but the most recent time wasn't. Oh, it's a drug abuse. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's what I thought. Cause I, I didn't tag him with that. And I, I honestly, when you have a drug of abuse suspension, oh, I, I hate it doesn't mind. bother me. Like, I, I mean, I unless say. they're like, you know, he was eating meth. Uh, out of a uh, out of a plastic bag in the outfield or something. I don't know how to take math. Um, but unless they're saying something like that, I'm like, I don't care because it's usually weed, and I just I don't care that he was smoking weed. It's so stupid that he even got suspended for it. So I don't well, hold that against him. I'll say this though. Back to the the sort of hard contact and bad play discipline. He just doesn't have a a a, a big uh, a margin for error. That's because right. That's right. he doesn't have any, he doesn't have that OBP to fall back on. He doesn't have, and even if the twins don't value OBP as, as highly as other people, you know, the, there's interactions with that in the plate. You know, exactly. there's only so far you can take a three percent walk rate against twenty five percent strikeout rate. You have to hit the ball hard all the time, and if you are that bad at discerning balls and strikes, the pitchers are just going to start throwing you balls outside of the zone more. And you're just gonna you're just gonna flail away. You can't make hard contact. He did actually hit a home run uh, on a ball at his eyes. So you know he has hit some some wacky home runs. But I just don't think that's the kind of thing you bet on in the in the in the meat of things. You don't you don't bet on that for the for the long run. And you know the projections here, they if they come true, you know the, especially the steamer one, he's not gonna you know he's not gonna hold off Max Kepler very long no. because. He's projected to be a minus in the pla- a minus at the field, a minus at the plate, and basically just a guy, a guy with a capital G that that stands out there and is not an average major leaguer. So the fans who are always rosy give him more power, better defense, and he's a major league average player. So that's kind of you know where it stands. He's going to be better in fantasy if he can do fifteen fifteen again. Or, That's the or, thing. You know, He's definitely you know, better out. in fantasy. But, but, you know, as much as that can be a fun thing to take advantage of, and, and we're all, you know, we all play fantasy, so, you know, we're all, all, you know, we're all willing to do this every once in a while. It feels a little bit dirty, but take the player that you know is hurting his major league team, uh, but, but, but helping yours. But at the same time, you have to know that that's going to be a depth chart playing time problem where if Oswaldo Arcia figures things out, if yeah. Max Kepler figures things Danny out. Danny Santana could get hot again. And I, don't, I don't like Danny Santana as a player. I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot there. I was, you know, everyone was off of him last year. I get that. But I, I had no use even with the shortstop eligibility. But, you know, he's still only 25. He could get some things clicking and, and take some playing time from Rosario. I think your key point is that there just isn't enough margin for error to feel comfortable. You know, what if he hits a cold snap? And, and like you said, he has these guys breathing down his neck. That's where the worry comes in for Eddie Rosario. You look at a season like last season, and even though it was only a 98 WRC+, plus, it was almost a best-case scenario for those skills that he had. Now, if Eddie Rosario came back and starts uh, striking out at the 17% clip that we saw in the minors – I can live with a three, four percent walk rate a hell of a lot more. But at twenty five percent, probably some powerful balls in play. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's kind of spray it, uh, make contact, and spray it hard kind of approach, which has worked. You know, kind of like guy like you know Brandon Phillips has made it work his whole career. So uh, yeah, that's a possibility. But there's another thing that's hidden in the depth charts. One of the reasons Eddie Rosario is projected for a full plate appearance thing is because we only have Miguel Sano projected for three hundred fifty plate appearances in left field. And that's because we have Miguel Sano 
you know, playing 170 at DH, and um, and I guess that's it. But um, oh, and actually 105 at, at third base. I just don't think those things are necessarily likely. I think the most likely thing, given that they have a guy who's going to DH for them in, well, Oswaldo Arcia, Yankel right? Park, Kenny Spargas. Oh yeah, yeah Park. Park. Park's not Park's not on there because uh, because we don't have a player page for him yet. Yeah. He's so got, he's got Park is going to push Park is going to push RC and Vargas down on DH and probably take most of those. Absolutely. And and then Mauer Mauer and Park are going to share first in DH. So I don't think Sano is going to get 170 plate appearances there. I don't think they want to play Sano at third. So you're only I guess that that Sano 100 plate appearances at third is if Ploof is hurt. Maybe maybe he goes over there, but maybe not. Maybe Santana and Escobar. Oh. So I think what they really want is for Sano to play left field. If Sano plays 600 plate appearances, almost all of it in left field, that takes away 250 plate appearances with Eddie Rosario and makes then puts Rosario in the mix with Arcia and Kepler, which is that's how I think of him. And, I think and that's fair. That's fair. I um, think of as battling Arcia and Kepler all year, and Kepler statistically is one of the more interesting rookies uh, in baseball, you know, and if he keeps his power, uh, Kepler is going to be better than Rosario and probably better than Arcia. So, uh, you know, Kepler in a way has the most ceiling out of all those guys. And if he, he's, you know, if he's, if he's capable of doing it this year, which, you know, he's 22, they're probably going to give him another year in the minor leagues, but if they did give him a cup of coffee last year and they do think he's close. So if he does the same thing he did in the minor leagues last year, he's going to come up. And so there's a very like strong likelihood that Rosario kind of stinks for 200 plate appearances and up comes Kepler. Bingo. Exactly. Th th that's the thing. That's the final word on him is that you look at Rosario, there is the double-double potential that he had last year, but there is major risk. So don't just take what he did last year and extrapolate it for 150 games and think, wow, I'm getting this sneaky double-double guy. And again, like we said uh, with Castillo, Rosario is also a guy that you have to pay starter price for when you'd much rather have him on the bench. All right, we got two more guys here. Again, we're going deep on these outfielders. Is there any hope for my boy Leonis Martin? Because, man, did he disappoint me last year. And I think I might be able to get you to say putrid one more time if you look at his stat line. What do you think <laughs> of Leonis Martin in Seattle? Yeah, I need a new word, man. No, I mean, honestly, it, it, it fits. It fits. We all, we all have our words that we like to go to. I believe they're called crutch words. I think putrid is the word of the day for, for this, uh, for some of these <laughs> skills that we're seeing out of these guys. But that's what happens when you go deep. These are not the, uh, the most complete player profiles that we've got. But he had the speed in the defense with a little bit of punch. I fell in love with this guy in Round Rock, uh, AAA minor league affiliate for the Rangers. I watched him for a full summer down there. You know, must have went to 10, 15 games, and he was just so damn good. And, you know, you see the guy really perform over any extended period of time in real life that you kind of you kind of maybe put too much into it. I, I freely admit that. So uh, that's why I need no, – He's a toolsy guy. I mean, if you watch him throw from the outfield, you could have a, a really great competition of Uena Cespedes against Yasiel Puig against Leonis Martin. I mean, the, the three of those guys have, have cannon arms. So good. And, you know, uh, you know could be great relievers, you know. But uh, <laughs> Maybe that's his next move if he hits 219 <laughs> again for 310 plate appearances. So, you know. You know, it, the package works if he can be uh, just slightly below average with the bat. I mean, that's where he exactly. was the first two years with the Rangers. And, I, you know, the one reason I'm a – I would say that I'm a little bit uh, – I would say that he could maybe do it is because he didn't do it based on a lot of power in his home park. I mean – 
his even though I thought he was going to develop more power, he never did. And his ISO for those two years that he was good in Texas was basically 100. You know, and so he he didn't use his home park to to his advantage in in order to look like a better player than he was. And besides, the way to runs created plus is should, should be adjusting for that sort of thing. So uh, to, if he's back to like 88, 90 uh, type WRC plus, then he's going to play, I think, most of the time. And, you know, I think the ceiling on it is probably platoon because he was platoon even with the Rangers and because the Mariners have a natural platoon partner uh, I'm making sure threat. With huh? Franklin Gutierrez, right? Oh, well, I'm not sure he can play center oh, anymore. Oh, yeah, that, that's that, that, that's definitely fair, especially with his health. But, uh, oh, and Boog Powell is a lefty. But uh, maybe maybe they've seen something in Boog Powell that, you know, maybe he, he's just going to be uh, not piss poor against uh, against lefties. Maybe they'll, they'll use him. I don't think. We have Aoki on there. Who's this? Uh, who's this I, Sean O'Malley guy? He, well, I, I don't know. But well, because he's listed on on roster resources depth chart as a potential outfield platoon guy, and, and I've seen the name a bunch this off season, but I I really know nothing about him. He's a 28 year old guy who has a couple cups of coffee, so I don't know if they're looking to platoon him with uh, with Martin. Well, you know, death to flying things, Gutierrez. I I think that actually maybe we poo pooed him too quickly because if you were hey, death I flying. You did. Right, that's true. It, maybe I did. But if you were death to flying things, then maybe you can be a, a passable center fielder. Now, we've got him in a platoon with Seth Smith, and it's the same sort of situation where how many platoons can they manage to do? So maybe Aoki is actually going to play a full slate of games because if they're going to platoon Seth Smith, which he's been done his whole career with Franco Gutierrez, then who's going to platoon Leonis Martin uh, unless Nelson Cruz goes to the outfield and Hazel's Montero is actually going to get center uh, DH well, at bat. So I was going to make a joke that Jesus Montero was going to platoon with him in center just to make a <laughs> Jesus Montero. No, to, to your point on Goody, though, you know, uh, maybe we weren't quick to write him off because in his 46 games last year, he didn't play any in center. So, you know, maybe they're just not comfortable. I mean, they had Austin Jackson, though, so why would you risk Gutierrez's right. health when you had Austin Jackson. So they've got some things to do, but like you said, they can't be having three or four platoons going at all time. And so if Martin can kind of get going at age 28 and, and, you know, just be passable against lefties and then do the damage against righties, he's still somebody I like. Again, the speed market is down and that's what keeps me interested in somebody like Martin. All right. we got one more guy, you know, right now I'm looking at the, uh, depth chart for the Cleveland Indians and they don't have a great outfield. We all know that we Colette <laughs> has been pumping on them or the white Sox to sign Dexter Fowler. But if they don't do that, if they don't go out and get an outfielder via trade or, or sign somebody like a Fowler, then they're going to go into the season with Abraham Almonte uh, as, as their starter. Now, if you look at his half season last year, it, it paced out to a double, double again, that's dangerous. You can't just take a half season and, and, and double it. But the skills were there, and this was somebody who, speaking of uh, Seattle, you know, showed showed some spurts here and there. And I think he even uh, played with San Diego maybe two years ago or something like that. You know, this guy's been bouncing around. He's one of these guys that doesn't have a ton of playing time, so I don't really know what to think about him. But Abraham Amante is going to be 27 this year. 
honestly, if you just add up all the playing time that he has in the majors, it's about a full season, 560 plate appearances, 10 homers, 12 stolen bases, but only 244 average and a 297 OBP. So there's work to be done. But if Abraham Amante is playing, are you at all interested in him? I think deep league I am. The the problem, a little bit of a problem with him is that, and, and you know, he only has 560 plate appearances, but in those 560 plate appearances, he's been pretty bad against lefties. He's league average with the bat against righties, but he's been pretty bad against lefties. So, and again, I mean, just like we were just talking about, how many places can they platoon? Mm-hmm. You know, with Brantley out, Rajai Davis is going to be the starter in left field, but he's been platoon his whole life. So, you know, who's going to platoon with him? Is it going to be Colin Cowgill, Joey Butler, Zach Walters? But, you know, if you're platooning him, Lonnie Chisenhall has been platooned most of the, most of the time. They, and, they make an actual really good platoon, to be honest, Chiz and Davis. But that Brantley injury is really what throws the wrench in there. That's why right. they need to go get freaking Dexter Fowler. And, again, I'm, I'm a Tigers fan. I don't necessarily need the Cleveland Indians to get great and beat up on my club. But just looking at it objectively, he's a perfect fit. Spend some freaking coin. Right. And then, and then if you – with Brantley out, that means that let, let's say let's give them Chisholm and Davis as a good platoon. That actually could produce like a, a major league average outfielder right there, mm-hmm. right? And then you know Brantley's going to come back at some point, so we're talking about a couple months. But th- that does mean that for a couple months, they're probably going to start Abraham Amante every day. He's a switch hitter, and you're going to be platooning Rajai Davis and Lonnie Chisholm, and then you're going to have this gaping hole in left field, and it's probably going to be some sort of platoon situation, at least for the, the first bit, right? And so you're going you're gonna to see – so you can't platoon all three outfield positions. So you're probably going to see something like Joey Butler, who's a right-hander, and, uh, I mean, one of Joey Butler or Colin Calgo, both those guys are righties, and I'm, I'm like, frantically – no, it, yeah, I mean, there's nobody. I mean, James Ramsey, Tyler Naquin are some guys who are semi prospects. Robbie yeah, Grossman, a lefty at least. Naquin, Naquin's a lefty at least. So's, and Grossman's switch hitter. So, so's Ramsey, by the way. By the way, I know people are screaming at their their phones right now or their computers listening to this because they're going to want us to have talked about Bradley Zimmer and Clint Frazier. I know both aren't necessarily close, but how quickly could either of them start with Zimmer and then Frazier? Uh, could either of them do enough this year to be like a, a Memorial Day call-up, or is it more of a late summer, September kind of thing in your estimation? I mean, the way these guys work, I know that Mark Shapiro left, or Shapiro. Shapiro, I, yeah. I never know how to say it. You know, Shapiro, Shapiro, tomato, tomato. I, what I do know is that under Shapiro's leadership, they they definitely cultivate their prospects, hold on to those years of, of control, and try to bring them up closer to their peak so that they're they're, they're ready to go and you, you get the best years of their life. So Clinton Frazier, 21 years old, hasn't played in Double A yet. I know he played in the AFL and made the All Star game and you know has uh, has he does have a lot of swing and miss, but he also you know I think he has stuff to work on in any case. And then Bradley Zimmer, 212 plate appearances in 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 Double A. I doubt these guys are coming up to begin the year. And then also you have to think about the fact that the Indians, even though their projections look decent, have a putrid outfield. Oh, there it is again. Have a terrible outfield right now. And, you know, have to at least say on some level, this isn't the time to go all in. We're not going to, you know, go all in on on this year and bring in all of our prospects up, rush them to the major league in order to maybe lose this year anyway. So 
you know, given that Brantley's going to, you know, come back with some some issues from his shoulder and and may miss a month or two, I think they're just going to they're going to cobble together. And then, you know, you can always use this opportunity to find guys that can be useful later. So if they find out that Abraham Amante can actually be a starting a starting center fielder in the meantime, then that's a benefit that they've gotten out of this year. Okay. And then, you know, they can audition Joy Butler, Zach Walters. I think, you know, given that Zach Walters played for them last year and is 26, you know, I know that he didn't play well for them. I think he's probably got the leg up for, for that spot. So something like Zach Walters and Joey Butler, maybe. Yeah, don't sleep on Tyler Naquin. Um, he, he played double-A, triple-A last year. Did all right. I don't think he's great, but when you're talking about that center field piece, uh, because it seems like I would say only uh, Rajay and Almonte can really handle center field on that club. I don't know. Maybe he could do a yeah, college player. He was a first round pick. I don't think he's particularly special, but he could be one of those guys for fantasy purposes, particularly who would do just a bit of everything where, where none of it's really special. But you look at it at the end of the year, you're like, well, oh, that's not too bad. Basically what Michael Brantley, like a, a light version of pre-breakout Michael Brantley, if that's confusing yeah, and, enough. And like a, I would, I, you know, I could see him being like kind of a deep league play appearance guy where you're yeah, like. Yeah, if, if, especially if he like had play. a huge camp and yeah. stole some time, that's where he'd be, because he needs to have the volume because he's, he's not He's got to be enough. ahead of James Ramsey because the defense is better. And then yeah. also. Ramsey, you know, strikes out more often. So there's, you know, even though he has more power, there's a little bit more. Uh, also, Ramsey's been in the high minors for a little bit, and he's kind of stagnating a little bit. So I don't know. I think, uh, you know, Ramsey and Naquin are the interesting names. Uh, Butler did a little bit of something for the Rays last year. It was it was Babbitt fueled for sure, and and once it kind of calmed down, he doesn't he have some absurd like twenty eight percent strikeout rate and two percent walk rate or something. I'm pulling it up yeah, right now. Yeah. Twenty nine point seven versus five point eight. So <laughs> a little bit like that Eddie Rosario thing we were talking about, where there's just, he's just not going to give you value anywhere else. So it's going to be a little bit difficult to count him. Also, he's a right hander, mm-hmm. so tiny margin for error, just tiny. Yeah. yeah. So all right. Uh, that, that's about that's going to do it here for these for these outfielders. We went deep on the outfield, and I really wanted to talk about the Arsenal score piece. So, no, no Twitter or emails today. But you know, I think sometime soon before we really get into draft season, maybe we'll just do an email only episode. Um, so yeah, maybe look for that again. Sleeperpod at gmail.com if you want to let us know. You know, we're 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 shifting things up. We're going to be doing a um, what are we going to do Monday Wednesday now instead of the Tuesday Thursday. And yeah, it's going to be close to the Sunday. So you'll get two days in a row. You'll get Sunday, Monday, and then you'll get Wednesday. And then if there's days that we got to move stuff around, whether if you got to go to the ball yard early or something like that, then Wednesday, Friday would be the backup. So I think that's, I think we're willing to listen to feedback on this. I think it's just my ballpark days are Tuesday, Friday. So Tuesday is actually kind of a difficult day. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're always up against a wall, if you like Wednesday, Friday, because that breaks up the week really nicely, we can do that. It's just that, you know, Fridays in the summer particularly may not have the same listenership. So, you know, be, you know, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, the, in the email. Tell us what you think about the new schedule. But 
Tuesday is a little bit difficult for me. So Monday or Wednesday would be better for me. I really like Monday, particularly in season when you're talking about kind of setting up the week. Um, you know, we do it in the day and we can have it up in time. Maybe we'll do it a little bit earlier on the Monday one to anything that we're going to get in about setting lineups so that you can do it before that first game. By the way, for folks that uh, that play CBS, they finally got out of the Stone Ages here and made it so that they don't they don't lock the lineups once the very first game starts, even if you're in an NL only league and it's the uh, Boston Marathon game, I believe it's <laughs> Patriots Day. I always hated that. You know, it's like, come on, I'm talking in an NL only league here in this AL game against Baltimore and Boston locked out the lineup. So that'll be something. But again, if we're doing Monday, we're kind of setting up the week, and I really like that. Um, but yeah, absolutely let us know. Sleeperpod at gmail.com. You guys can hit us up on Twitter. But anyway, we. The, I know we're starting our new schedule with Wednesday, Friday, but then next week you're going to get Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday. All right, Eno, I'll talk to you in a couple days. Thanks for listening.